This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Well, in the weekend, the clocks went forward. Liverpool have sprung into action in the transfer market, with the Reds linked heavily with a £34 million deal for RB Leipzig defender Ibrahima Kanate. Is he the answer to Liverpool's defensive dilemma? What has made him stand out to Michael Edwards? And is it the start of a summer spending spree? Well, to get into all of that, as well as some of your questions here on the Blood Red podcast, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, and Marcus Banks as well. Gorsty, I know you've had a week off. What a day to come back in, eh? Yeah, um, before my shift even started, uh, I had to log on early and check out the news about Ibrahima Kanate. And um, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, it was quite, um, the, the reports elsewhere were quite strong. Um, Liverpool were imminently about to conclude a £40 million uh, deal for Kanate, you know, activating the release clause and all that. And uh, checking it out this morning, speaking to, to one or two people, it seems that it might not be as as far along as, as some are suggesting. Um, I was told that Liverpool have got um, pretty much a five-man centre-back shortlist that they're, they're keeping an eye on. And, and that, that, that's nothing new. I mean, last last year we reported that when Liverpool were in for uh, Simakas, I think, that, I think it was a four-man shortlist at the time with uh, Reguillon, um, Jamal Lewis, um, Lloyd Kelly and, and Simakas, who obviously went and bought. And then when they were in for... Um, for Jota, I think um, Jonathan um, Jonathan David was it, and um, yeah. obviously uh, the lad from Watford, um, whose name escapes me. Um, it's that's the one, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Um, so it's it's nothing new really in terms of Liverpool whittling down a, a long list into a short list and basically making um, overtures to see what can and what can't be done this summer. So um, I'm not not surprised that Liverpool are looking to kind of um, cast the net in terms of centre backs. I mean, we, we must say that uh, Kabak is one of those on that five-man shortlist, and, and at the moment he, he literally has the shirt, doesn't he? He seems to be settling in quite well um, alongside Nat Phillips, and it's going to be a difficult one to judge Kabak, I think, because he's um, he's not going to play with with the centre back who you would deem to be first choice at Liverpool until it's time for Liverpool to make their decision. So either they um, decide not to trigger that 18 million obligation to buy, or, or not an obligation to buy, but rather option to buy. Or they decide to cut him loose, and um, either way, I think it might be a little bit unfair in him because he hasn't had a chance to play alongside a Van Dijk or a, a Gomez or a Matip. So Liverpool are kind of making the judgments on him one way or another, um, quite, quite cold really. Um, but then Canate um, is, is someone who we do believe is part of that that thinking, and um, yeah, he, he's going to cost what probably double. Uh, but I, what I found interesting was he, he's coming into his last year of his contract in June. So if Liverpool don't kind of activate the release clause this summer, then you'd fancy his valuation to to drop significantly. And uh, Leipzig are probably going to be quite reluctant to let him go easily this summer with them losing Upper Meccano, certainly to, to Bayern Munich. So um, still plenty of uh, twists and turns in this one. And it's going to be interesting to see what Liverpool do in terms of their, um, their centre-back this summer. Because I was told that um, if Liverpool do bring in a centre-back, it will just be the one. Uh, it's not going to be a case of bringing in Kabak for 18 million and then deciding that an RT can be done at 34 million. So, um, yeah, at least we know that Liverpool are looking to rectify um, a problem that has been there since Dayan Lovren left. 
Yeah, definitely. And certainly in trying to solve that problem, Marcus, they want to serve it long term, don't they? Because Quebec, what's he, 20 years of age? Ibrahima Kanate is, is 21. If we're talking about this sort of 40 million euros or 34 million pounds, whichever way you want to look at it, release clause for a 21-year-old defender, it might seem a bit steep. But the idea is the investment will be there to pay off for a long, long time for Liverpool. Yeah, he, he still fits into that, that FSG transfer strategy, of, of, as we spoke about on the last podcast, which is probably why talk of moves to Coutinho and Suarez are probably not going to happen because Canate fits that fits that bill. He's a young player who can who Klopp and his team can mould into into a world class star, and he also fits the bill in the fact that he can play at right back too. Klopp obviously likes his, his transfers to be able to play a number of positions, and he, he might offer a more more defensive-minded option at right-back than Trent Alexander-Arnold. I know, I think quite unfairly his defensive work is criticised quite often. And I think having that Canate, if Liverpool do want to take a more defensive approach to a game, and possibly that could see Trent Alexander-Arnold moved up the field, maybe moved into midfield, as he's talked about a lot. I think Canate obviously offers more security at right-back while also giving Klopp an option at centre back too. I think the on, the only blip on Canate's record is is his injury history, which a lot of Liverpool fans have been alluding to um, over to our social media this, this morning. But I think obviously Klopp, Klopp's, Klopp's recruitment team they speak for themselves. The record speaks for themselves. So if if he is a target that that they are extensively pursuing, then I think that has obviously been investigated heavily. And if 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 that was the end of the problem, then they wouldn't be. Ongoing with the the uh, negotiations, as we saw with Nebul Fakir, as soon as the the sort of red flag there, that deal was was shot down. So I don't think the injury records should be too much of a worry. I think Van Dijk was out for for three months before Liverpool signed him, and the ACL injury, which is obviously just an impact injury, is 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 one blip in his almost impeccable record for Liverpool. So I don't think I, I wouldn't too, read too much into that. But yeah, he definitely fits the bill, and I think he will be will, will be a good purchase. Yeah, what what do you make of the the injury side of things, of course? Because we know Liverpool one of sort of the the real remits on the recruitment data side of things is how available is this player going to be? The last thing Liverpool want after the season they've had is going and buying a centre half who, like Gomez, like Van Dijk, like Matip this season, will end up being on the treatment table. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's almost an underrated quality of a centre back, your durability, because. We've seen Joel Matip has been exceptional at times this season, but he can't get on the pitch. He, I think he only made 10 Premier League appearances before the season was ended. Um, Van Dijk played back-to-back full seasons in the Premier League, didn't he? I think the only game he missed was through illness in the um, Club World Cup semi-final. Um, Gomez has obviously been quite unfortunate with several um, you know, um, either impact injuries or just injuries that... Uh, I mean... I would I'd be hesitant to, to call Joe Gomez injury prone. I think he's just been very unlucky with, with a series of, of long term setbacks. But um I think Canate's um figures are maybe a little bit I'd be a little bit worried if I was looking I think was it um eight games last season and nine this season. I think he's just come back from a pretty much three months off. I mean I know he was on the bench for the two games in the in the Champions League. Uh, ties. I'm not sure whether that was because he was coming back from an injury or what, but um, he certainly wasn't in the in the team for either of those games. So if he is someone who's, um, who's prone to injury, then you know that is that is the last thing that Bill wants at centre back, don't they? Because um, it's like the frying pan and into the fire, isn't it? Because it's just more of the same. And um, 
that is is one of the things that, that they'll definitely be looking at, no question. Um, if, if it is just one of those things and, and something that he's just a young player who's kind of adjusting to top-level football, as someone like Steven Gerrard did when, when he was a similar age, if it is just something um, like that and, and he will overcome it, then that won't be a problem. But if it's a little bit more, um, you know, it, as Marcus says, if the red flags are waving, then um, it's something that Liverpool's recruitment team are going to have to consider. But... Um, as we say there, it, you know, no stone is, is kind of left unturned anymore, is it, when Liverpool are looking to buy a player? They don't just bring them in on a whim. They are extensively assessed and tracked and relationships are formed behind the scenes. So um, you'd back them to, to get it right to it, whoever they kind of settle on as, as the incoming centre-back. Yeah, definitely. I'd probably echo what you say there in terms of the injuries. Maybe a 21-year-old who's had a knee injury and a hip injury, it might be a case of his body still maturing and getting used to, to top-level football. We'll have to sort of see how that one does play out. But in terms of the finance of the, the deal, Mark, it's £34 million on a defender. We know that the way FSG works so often is sell to buy, but this would be a huge statement of intent, wouldn't it, before the transfer window's even opened, to be looking to kind of spend this money on effectively quite an inexperienced player yeah I think that speaks volumes of the issues that Liverpool have had this season and the need the need to bring top quality not just cover but someone who can step into that starting 11 too obviously as Gorsi said Matip's been exceptional but he's just been so injury prone that you can't rely on him and as a as a as a third choice, fourth choice centre back, the one thing you need is reliability. You need to be there, ready to step in when one of the the, the first the first two first choice centre backs are injured. You need to be there, and he he hasn't been. And, and Lovren is the same, which is probably his downfall too. Neither of them can be relied on. So I think it might be a case of just of, of just securing that that third centre back spot, whether that is Kabak or Kanate. But I think it, it's been a need for a while to spend wisely in that position. Whether Canate's injury problems may hurt his chances of getting that role, but Liverpool do just need a reliable third choice defender to have into that rotational mix and someone who can step into the void of, of Van Dijk and a Gomez injury. And like I said before, Canate probably fits that bill more in the fact that he can play right back too. That would probably go in his favour if it if it is between him and Kabak. But then obviously you've got Kabak, he's got a head start, uh, hasn't been injured yet. So it is, as Gorsi said, it's going to be interesting to see whether they do go go with Canate, sign Kabak permanently, or, I mean, there's other options too. Obviously, there was offers to Duji collect a card in, in the January transfer window, and David Carmo too was another name heavily linked. So I think it's it's a case of wait and see. But I think it, it, it shows that FSG are prioritising that third choice centre-back slot. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gorsley, just sort of on the, the five-man shortlist of players that Liverpool might be looking at. Of course, we saw in January somewhat of a mad dash late on for bids going in all across the continent, including for Ozan Kabak, who came in on that loan with the, the option to buy. He said before, he's probably still the man in the, the driving seat. And with this all coming out during the international break, he's probably thinking to himself, I can't wait to get back to Kirby and show what I can do for the rest of the season. Definitely, yeah. And I think now the way to go with this Liverpool team is to keep Kabak and Phillips in there as often as they can. I mean, we know that the entire season has been blighted by who's going to be the two centre-backs this week and you could basically close your eyes and point and see who you'd end up with because it's just been that kind of haphazard throughout the season. And Klopp said a few times, it's basically the last two standing have been the centre-backs. So whether it's been, you know, Jordan Henderson and... Reese Williams or Fabinho and Kabak or, or whoever it may be, 
now if Phillips and, and Kabak are fit and you've got Fabinho in front of them, then at least you've got a little bit of stability there, a little bit of, of strength and, and something to build on, something to work with. And then we'll see where, where Liverpool land at the end of the season. And, and Kabak now, coming back from this international break, he's, he knows he's got, what, 10, 15 games to really show that um, if he wants to be a Liverpool player, then, um, you know, he, he can kind of play his way into into the thinking long term and, and uh, see, see what happens. But it is interesting because um, with, you know, the, the fact that they're still kind of keeping their options open with, with this, this fireman list and you'd imagine the Coletta card is still being assessed. You know, they were looking at him in January and pretty much couldn't get him because Marseille didn't have enough time to, to bring in the replacement. So um, they're still assessing him alongside Canate and obviously Kabak as well then. Um, it shows you that they do know that there is an area that needs fixing, needs tweaking, and it looks as though they, uh, they're ready to, to spend to do so. Well, if, if we're sort of then discussing Ozan Kabak, what about Ben Davis, who came in from Preston? Or is this going to end up being a, a smart move by FSG, bringing a player in for half a million pounds and maybe moving him on in the summer to part fund a deal for another senior centre-half? Quite possibly, Um it's a bit bit cynical, isn't it? If you think that that's how they're, they're looking to approach it, but this was a player who was in the last few months of his contract, um, sold it just before they signed, and that Celtic had made the move, but it was almost at the rise of the offer, and, and Liverpool took advantage of it and brought him in for five hundred thousand, a little bit of a punt, a little bit of a gamble. Um, player from the Championship, a bit of a cut price deal at a time when funds aren't exactly a wash. So um, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a gamble and. If um, you know, the only the only time I can see Ben Davis getting a game now, really realistically, is when Liverpool have got a big Champions League game coming up in the week, and um, they're out for the run up at the top four. So Klopp looks to to rotate and rest, and the same way Rafa Benitez did with uh, Pellegrino all those years ago, similar type of thing to kind of keep Pippi afresh. Um, then if he gets a, a few Premier League games under his belt, then his value is going to naturally kind of rise, isn't it? And then Liverpool could potentially look to, to offload them in the summer. But that, I suppose, is all speculation at this point. And Klopp has just insisted that Ben Davis just needs to carry on um, training and, and learning the ropes and he will get his chance at some point. But um, where are we now? Nearly, nearly three months on, are we, since he, he was brought in and, and he still hasn't had a kick. So it's, um, it's a very um, interesting deal, that one. Yeah, it seems very interesting indeed. No, there was a, a long read on the, the Liverpool Echo website talking about him and how people were sort of saying he was maybe worth £20 million during his time at Preston North End. And, well, if Liverpool could get that kind of fee for him, as I say, that would help certainly part fund a move maybe for Canate or fund a whole move for Ozan Kabak. But in terms of this story coming out at the time that it has done, Mark, I suppose it speaks of that importance of getting business done early. Liverpool, we know, always work ahead in the transfer window and looks as though centre-back's going to be the priority, get that one nailed down and then spend the rest of the summer getting the other targets through the door. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a tactic that's worked in the past, which is which is what surprised me really in January that that there was wasn't two centre backs, at least one centre back nailed on for January first. Obviously, that was uh, January is always an important run in for the season, and obviously the matter matter for being here injuries again kickstarted Liverpool into that mad mad rush on deadline day. But I think that that was quite odd, and the fact that FSG or the recruitment team hadn't already identified that area as a need, given how the, the past few months had gone and Gomez and Van Dijk potentially missing the end of the season. That was that did surprise me that there wasn't two centre backs or at least one centre back 
already lined up, ready to go for January, and it waited. They waited until until that long to make the move. So I think that's could, this summer could be a case of rectifying the wrongs of the January transfer window, having a player, giving him a full preseason under under Klopp, and that's something that Klopp's stressed in the past that is really important to him, and that is also probably another reason why Ben Davis is struggling to get to to take take so long to to adapt to Klopp's game and be given a chance. If if it was the start of January, then you might be thinking that adaptation period is already over. I think Kabak was thrown straight in purely out of necessity, but he has adapted quite well and is still obviously improving game to game. He was in fantastic form over the international break as well. So I would I would, I would expect a deal to be concluded fairly quickly because I think Klopp is obviously highlighting the importance of of getting a full pre-season, getting someone up to speed in the system so they're ready to go. But I think the summer will also be focused on obviously shifting a lot of the dead weight in the squad. And if if that is a case of raising transfer fees, then like you said before, there's a statement of intent. But it could perhaps, if, if Liverpool do end up changing the strategy and going for two centre backs, if if matter maybe depart, if if there's another as if there's a gap for two centre backs, then you could potentially see Canate and Kabach. Especially given Kabach is a young defender for 18 million and Canate the same, a relatively low price. Those two deals would sort of um <laughs> would sort of uh, solve, solve Liverpool's issues and give them a solid solid four four centre backs that are a top quality, two young options, and then Van Dijk and Gomez, which is, is Liverpool's defence probably sorted for the next few years. Those watching on YouTube will realise the laugh was because Marcus's cat came on the screen. <laughs> Those listening to, to us through the podcast channels probably won't be able to uh, quite, <laughs> quite get it. But uh, Gorsty, in terms of signal of intent, Marcus said there and it's by no means assured that Liverpool will be in the Champions League next season. So even sort of drawing up this five-man shortlist and everything, it is a sign from FSG, who quite often are lambasted for wanting to sell before buying players, that actually, at whatever cost it may well be, to get Liverpool back in the Champions League, they they will look to invest this summer. Yeah, possibly. It's a, it's a difficult one because I think Liverpool uh, probably try and keep the... Um, keep the powder dry for as long as they can until they know for sure what the, their operating budget's going to be because Klopp said a few times, I mean, you can't really plan for anything unless you know you're going to be in the Champions League and that is the first milestone that he's always looked to have ticked off. You know, as soon as that is mathematically confirmed, then he'll know what kind of um, money they've got to operate. So I think that just comes from, you know, Champions League games, you know, excellent money for, for each game and, you know, and, you know once you're through to the group stages, you get a certain amount. So I think that is a big part of it because until Liverpool have got that confirmed one way or another, then you won't know exactly how much they've got because this is an ownership model that doesn't just plow money into it for the sake of it and um, they expect the club to live within its means and, and, you know, the Champions League fortune is a massive part of that. So um, I think Liverpool, a bit like last summer, I think they'll wait... um, and do the do the business later rather than sooner because um, you know Jurgen Klopp said a few times last summer that you, you don't know what they can do yet at the moment and then they've got to wait and see certain players can be moved on and whatever and it was only when I mean the season had already started hadn't it when Jota and Thiago came in the pool had already kicked off against Leeds and Jota and Thiago signed on the weekend that Liverpool played Chelsea which I think was their second game in, in the middle of September so. Um, the season starts in August this time around, but um, depending on when the, the transfer deadline is, I think you'll see Liverpool waiting a little bit, um, a little bit similar to, similar to last summer in terms of um, 
doing the business a, a, a little bit nearer to the deadline than maybe a couple of years previous when Fabinho had arrived and we already knew Keita was coming and Alisson signed in July and, and Shakiri was the last one through the door before the end of July and it was all done and dusted for pre-season. I think this season will be a little bit different. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, second half then of today's podcast here on Blood Red. We're going to take your questions. We've been asking for them through our YouTube community page on the dedicated Blood Red channel. If you're watching live with us on YouTube or Facebook, do feel free to throw some questions in. I've uh, got the first one here that I'll come to you, Gorsty, with from Jonathan Rooney, who writes, are we slowly beginning to see the rebuilding of the squad? He's thinking the likes of Jota, Kabak, Jones, even maybe Harvey Elliott and these rumours with Canate that we are beginning to maybe see some fresh blood? I'm not sure. Um, possibly. I mean, Thiago, the deal to bring in Thiago was kind of a little bit opportunistic because he had a, a contract situation, didn't he? And he was, he was 29 with Liverpool bought him, so they knew that he, he only had, he's only got a few kind of elite years left. But maybe someone like Jota was brought in with the thinking over the long term, I think he was only 23 at the time and Links to, to Canate, who's only 21, and come back was, was 21 last week. Um, so, say if, if either of those two come in, then, then the thinking is very much on the future for that, isn't it? But I think, um, I do think generally Liverpool need to refresh in the squad with some younger talent because all, all the best players are starting to age a little bit. I think Salah, Mane, and Firmino are all 28, 29 by the time next season starts. Um, I think Salah's 29 in June. So, um, there the will the will need to be at least one eye on on the next couple of years um, if they are to kind of stay where they were last season and, and the year before. Um, so yeah, but possibly. But I think um, I do think there is an element of, of kind of rebuild. Yeah. Well, next one is Jota SZN or Jota season. Don't know which way that the, the kids say it. Uh, Mark, so I'll come to you with this one. Since we won't be signing Haaland or Mbappe this summer, which striker do you think Liverpool should go for? And there's a second part as well, which says, who do you think would be the ideal replacement for Genie Wijnaldum? That is a tough one. But re- reading into it, I've done a bit of research before before the Liverpool links occurred. I think, depending on the price, I think Pat and Dacher would be a relatively decent option. He's quite young. He's got a good, good goal record and... Obviously, he's playing in, in, in a significantly weaker league, but if Erlen Haaland's transfer is anything to go by, I think possibly worth a punt, depending on the price, though, because if you're paying upwards of 20 million, then it's probably you want to go for someone a bit more bit more proven in a, in a higher division. Um, in terms of a Genie Wijnaldum replacement, I think there has been a, a little bit of talk about Rodrigo De Paul at Udinese. He's obviously putting up some some good numbers, but the only the only caveat being that he is approaching. I think he's I think he's twenty eight, twenty nine too. But it's 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 a cast twenty two because he obviously doesn't really fit that younger replacement model. But he is sort of a player who's 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 highly touted on social media. There's a lot of a lot of interest in him amongst fans, and a few fans are keen to point out the the Kevin De Bruyne is, is what he's twenty nine thirty and he's he's not slowing down. So it's like. If you can get a player of that ilk and somebody who can add a, a bit, bit of dynamism into that midfield, then then you could possibly go for someone like that. But I mean, there's also an argument that that Wijnaldum doesn't need to be replaced. If if Kate is going to take more of a role, you've got Curtis Jones also now a proven first team regular. Is it is it worth just spending money elsewhere if if the, if finances are are going to be tight and 
and the budget is limited. There's, I think there's there's other areas that need improvement more rather than directly sourcing a, a wine Adam um, replacement. And next one then on the list is Boaty Vapes, right? So what's happening with Genie's contract? Is it being extended or is he leaving? Gorsty, what's the uh, the latest on this one that you seem to get asked every week, don't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I've had a week off, so I've gone a week without it being asked. Um, I think the, the day, we've, I think the last shift that I, I was the last update I had on it was um, one album hadn't yet informed the club of um, any intention to sign for Barcelona or sign a pre-contract agreement with Barcelona. But it was also caveated with the fact that he doesn't actually have to. Um, if he was planning to sign for Barcelona, he's not obligated to, to tell Liverpool. But um, I think as it stands, is um, no change. I mean, Wijnaldum, I thought he was really interesting actually the day before the Leipzig game in the Champions League when he got asked a couple of questions on it in, in the press conference and he didn't really shirk away from it or duck it. He, he really stood up and, and basically said, look, if I leave here, I'd be devastated. Um, I love this group. You know, I, I love being here with Liverpool, and and um, he made it known that uh, it would be good to be left. But then he, he did say that certain things, you know, are happening and, and whatever else. So it's an interesting one. I mean, I I, I was told a while back that um, he he wants to stay, settle on Mayside with his young family, and absolutely loves loves the club and, and loves loves being here essentially. But I think the issue. He might have um, is the fact that he signed his contract in July 2016 and pretty much everyone else in the squad since has either had a new deal or has been signed since. So he's probably one of the lowest earners in this Liverpool team because he signed before they were even back in the Champions League. I think the only two ahead of him who signed before him in this Liverpool squad, obviously Henderson and Milner, but under, under Klopp was uh, Matip and, and Mane and, and Mane only preceded them by a few weeks. So Personally, um, I think the situation is he wants to kind of be remunerated with something he might feel is a bit more befitting of his, his status in this squad. And um, he's probably got a point, to be fair. He's, he's such an important player in this Liverpool team and he's, he's only missed two games this season. So um, I think that might be where the situation is at the moment in the club and maybe a bit reluctant to offer massive terms to someone who's, who's 30 or, or going to be 30 soon. So... Um, that is where it stands. So the situation is as it is. But last that I was told was a um, little over a week ago that he hasn't yet informed the club of any imminent decision to move to Barcelona. So uh, I hope it gets resolved and I hope he signs an extension. Next question's a live one that we've had coming from Jordi T who says, what do you guys think of Matthias Kunher? Herta Berlin player. He's there just above the relegation zone and he's been performing really well. He could be available on the cheap. Mark, so I have to admit, I've not seen an awful lot of him, but uh, does maybe strike as a uh, FSG, Michael Edwards kind of trick, sides struggling down the bottom of, of one table, come to Liverpool and all of a sudden they can uh, can be turned into world beaters. Yeah, I think he was an, he was another poach in that, that, that Leipzig team. So that the player, the players of that profile are, are obviously... I mean, Red Bull's recruitment team are, are amongst the best in the world. They always seem to to pick out players who can who can become the next big thing and and be sold on for for a, late, a later fee, which is the same that's happened with Canate, same that happened with Keita, all those types of players. And he was one of them poached by Hertha. I think he, he's a versatile option again, but it's there's always a caveat. It's the, the players in the Bundesliga have have struggled. You look at Timo Werner; is he is one. It's massive, massively struggling to, to cope with the physical demands of the Premier League so 
it's it's whether Liverpool want to go down the route of getting a traditional number nine, a, a target man sort of number nine, which they haven't really had in, in recent years, and could that offer something different in attack or want to try and go for a player with a bit more flair, a little bit more creativity on the ball like Cunha has. But I, it, it depends because Hayes are obviously extremely wealthy, so they, I mean, they might not be, they're in a precarious position, but are they going to want to sell one of the, the prized assets? And if not, then I can see, I, I don't see Liverpool taking it too much of an interest. Yeah, no, quite right. Um, Jack Jones is the next one to ask a question. Gorsty says, what's the best starting eleven for the rest of the season? Or do you just adopt a rotational policy to make sure everyone's available for the Champions League games and effectively just scrap any ideas of getting into the top four? I think the, I think the team at, at Wolves is probably Liverpool's best eleven at the moment. So I think Firmino's in a really, really low struggling period um, and I, I've thought that for quite some time but the fact that Jota was injured and, and Divock Origi wasn't doing a, a tap when he come on or was given a chance to kind of meant that you had to, to kind of persevere with him but now Jota's back and scoring goals for, for club and country then I think he has to stay in that front three alongside Salah and Mane um, Phillips and Kabach are the, are the centre-backs with Fabinho definitely in front of them as a little bit of a, a solid platform to build and then, um, and then, hopefully, we've got Jordan Henderson back in, in two or three weeks' time, and he can provide a bit of competition to um, to Thiago and and Gini Wijnaldum. But, but pretty much, Liverpool at the moment, I think their best eleven was the one that played against Wolves. Yeah, no, fair enough. This question I'll ask to, to both of you comes from Pro Gaming Twelve, who actually has two questions. But the first one of which is, do you think we can win the Champions League this season, Marcus? Over to you first. I think anything can happen. Stranger, it's obviously going to be extremely difficult, but stranger things have happened, and I've learned to, to never write off Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. So it would also it'd just be the most Liverpool thing to to you know have this season and all after everything that's gone on, the difficulties that they faced, the the league form, the home form, everything to go on and win the Champions League against all the odds would would be unlikely, but. It's Liverpool, so I, I wouldn't write it off. So I, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, they can. What do you think, Gorsty? Um, I mean, it's, it's it's difficult to say no, isn't it? But I, I do think there's centre back issues. You've got a lad who's never played senior top level football until the middle of October, and, and he's only played eleven games, twelve games, or something in, in that Phillips. And then you've got Kabak, who's only just turned twenty one. Um, so can those two keep out the best forwards on the continent? I'm not sure. Um, but other than that, I mean, that is obviously the, the glaring weak point for Liverpool at the moment. But other than that, it's, it's a really solid squad, isn't it? I think when Liverpool played Leipzig in the Champions League, they had eight Champions League winners in the team. Um, obviously, seven of them won it with, with Klopp and then uh, Thiago, who's fresh from winning it with Bayern Munich. So, um, other than that kind of obvious weak point, then it's a really strong Liverpool team when, when it's in full flight. So um, I think I think they can beat Real Madrid, and then if you expect them to play Chelsea in the semis, then I think they can beat Chelsea over two legs. It's just a case of would you fancy this Liverpool team to beat a Bayern Munich or a Manchester City or you know whoever? But yeah, um, yeah, they're also. Still in the yeah, running up. Yeah. So it's um, 
it's tough. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't make them favourites, but I wouldn't say there's not no hope. Right, I'm going to throw one in. If anyone else has got any questions they want to, to send to us before we get to sort of our final question, just sort of wanted to, to throw one to you, Marcus, in terms of priorities. We've spoken a lot about centre-backs. Do you think that is more the priority for Liverpool this season or do you think a forward? We've had a lot of people commenting about certain different forwards who Liverpool should be looking at. And I just wondered what your sort of take on where Liverpool's priorities should be in the market. Yeah, it's, it's they are definitely the two. Uh, obviously, I spoke before about the Wijnaldum replacements not really too important, but I wouldn't be against another midfielder coming in if he did the part. You've got to think that Liverpool's transfer budget is going to be boosted by by sales as well. Obviously, as Gorsi said, they probably will wait to see where the cars lie before making moves, see how much money is available, see if they finish in the top four, possibly win the Champions League, and then see how much money is generated from player sales. But I think... Like I said, that third third three centre back needs to be priority number one, I think, and then priority number two needs to be another four with option uh, Harvey Elliott coming back and probably take one of the slots in the wing. But Liverpool needs someone else who can play, and that forward three Dibakarigi is just is not is not good enough. And Firmino is woefully out of form, so they need they need someone with something different, uh, be that a target man number nine or a player like Diogo Jota who can play across the front three and and, and give give Klopp a number of options so I think a third choice centre-back be that Kabak, Kanata or someone else and then a forward you can play possibly or across the right across the forward line or maybe move to that traditional number nine try and evolve the attack a little bit and, and have a have a target man Harry Kane, Aylan Haaland sort of player who can have one chance and score Harry Kane, can you imagine that after we were we were speaking about him a couple of weeks ago about the the diving him and Salah in the same team? I think that'd probably break social media to to be fair. But last one then, this is another one for for both of you. We will finish on Pro Gaming Twelve again. Who says start one, bench one, sell one? Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago. It's uh, some blend, probably maybe on paper Liverpool's strongest midfield three, Gorsty. But how would you split them? Yeah, it's fantasy. Just, Let's just say before before we answer this, none of them are getting sold, so don't worry, people. Probably, yeah, it probably is Liverpool's strongest midfield three, isn't it? And you've only had you've only had the chance to play with each other once. Um, so, and we're already ripping them apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, what are my options? Sell one, bench one, start one, and start one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, I'm starting for Vino because I think he's been probably Liverpool's best player alongside Salah. This season, um, so I'll put Henderson on the bench and I'll, I'll sell Thiago. Right, okay, Marcus. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm the same. I think Fabinho is the best best defensive midfielder in the in the world, and his impact in the team is immeasurable. Henderson is is Liverpool through and through. Captain won the trophies, and I mean, I love Thiago, but you can't 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 have him above Hendo. So I'd, I'd go with the same. I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. I would start Henderson personally. I think if, for, for me, if Henderson had been fit all season and playing in midfield all season, I don't think Liverpool would be where they where they are. Certainly with no crowd in. I think he energises. We saw, didn't we, Gorsi? What was it? Away at Atalanta or Midtjylland in the yeah. Champions League, the video that was put out. He barks out the orders with no crowd in the ground. I think he would be the one who'd start for me. He is the club captain. You'd bench Fabinho and sell Thiago, which I think when everyone was getting so giddy in the summer and he was about to arrive, no one would have 
possibly thought about that. Well, that's it from us for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. We will be back, of course, on Friday, as we do, thankfully, creep ever closer towards the end of the international break. But that's it from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst, and Marcus Banks. Thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.